This show is part of the WND Podcast Network. If you'd like to check out more shows from WND, please head to our website at wndpress.com backslash podcast to see our current lineup. I'm saying I'm just a clown dancing for the fucking man. A dancing clown that's been convicted of 38 murders. I'm gonna slap the shit out of you. Last week I was in Arizona, and yeah, I know. Uh, and I had to uh, the the first night I got there, I got off the plane and had to go to dinner with some members of my team, and um, and the team members are super wonderful and they're lovely. Are they listening right now? They, no, they're not listening right now. Uh. Um, but they are. Uh, it's one of those things where I'm just not part of that peer group, um, <laughs> it, because I just don't have the same interests. And you're covered in hair. And I'm covered in hair, which is going to play into this this story, actually. So um, so I get there, and they're like, we're going to go to eat at this place. And I was like, great. We're going to go get food because I, like most people, like food. And so um, I we get there, and this place has a dress code. That's the kind of place that we're going. So I'm sitting Ooh. there going, fucking Mikey would love this shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, except that you wouldn't because it's so it was so hipster like that you would have been like well this sucks like it's fine dining but with hipsters what was it you have to wear a blazer or something i had to wear a shirt with a collar is what it was but i couldn't no jeans no jeans and a shirt with a collar so i just put on a flannel listen i just wore a flannel um and i walked in there and uh they let animals in apparently because they let me in um (laughs) is this your giant bipedal upright dog (laughs) is he a service animal yes he's Is he a service bear? <laughs> um, so so we get in there and everything is candlelit, which nice. sucks because I can't uh. see. Um, and uh, just because I can't see, like it's whatever. Um, but the place, the food was really good. But you're gonna get a kick out of this. Uh, the only food that I could eat there because literally every plate had meat in it was a beet salad. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. And it was like twenty one dollars. What was this place called? It's called Maple and Ash. Mm. Actually, I think I have heard of that place. Yeah, apparently it's, it's very Dillon popular. Has talked about it. He's, yeah, it's, it's fancy. Apparently, yeah, it's a popular fancy restaurant. Yeah, um, they immediately serve you alcohol when you step to the table. Like when you sit at the table, they're like, "Yeah, here's this thing we made. Surprise! Here's a complimentary drink." And you're like, "What is what is happening right now?" Was it like an aperitif? It was a it's in a pair of teeth. Is that what you said? A pair of a teeth. pair of teeth. You. Swine. Like a spooky, like a spooky martini it's with a, like, <laughs> it's just got chattering fangs in it. Yeah, it's got no olives. It's just got teeth. And a pair of teeth is it's like a it, it's something that sort of like settles your stomach. It's sort of prior to the meal. I think it's actually I think it's after the meal. There's something before the meal though. But they'll they'll bring they'll bring you around a, a mousse bouche, which is like uh, something little the chef may might have thrown together. And he's mm-hmm. putting out to some of the tables. So my problem though is you, you they they led us to they led us past the kitchen and the chef just straight up looked like he listened to from out of the ashes. And I was like, why does why is he here and I have to wear a collar? Like he's wearing an apron. <laughs> like this guy's guy, sweating, man. Yeah, he's sweating into the food. He's sweating into my beet salad, and I gotta wear a collar? 
place sucked. I don't like it. Well, that's because you can't appreciate nice things. No, I can't appreciate nice things. I just don't like feeling like I am in a, in a different class of people, and that's how I felt. So this is more about you. This is a you thing. It it's one hundred percent is a me thing. It is. It was. It was a. It was a picture of extravagance. It was a, one of those things where I was like, I hate this. Give me, give me a slice of pizza and a beer or a root beer, and I'll be fine. That is that is satisfying for me. This is a place that I am on my. I am on. I have to be on, and I don't mm. like feeling like that. Like I don't feel like I have to like mind my manners. I want to be a sloppy service bear and not have to worry about. <laughs> The, the 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 manners of humans i'll tell you i i never feel better than when i sit down in a nice place and eat an expensive meal mm. yeah i wanted to kill the server <laughs> i feel i feel like a person i feel like a fucking human being no i mean it was fine it's just not my cup of tea like what i've learned is i'm just not that i'm just not that i don't feel good i, I don't i never feel good in a fancy place like i never feel comfortable well, you're a cryptid, and you belong in the wilderness. Yeah, yeah, I am. I am a a, 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 a swamp ape. Like a I monster. like. I'm. I am absolutely Gossamer from Looney Tunes. Like I don't want my <laughs> nails done. Like I don't want my nails done. Don't touch me, rabbit. Like get me out of this castle. I don't like it. Uh, yeah, and I want to wear sneakers. I mean, like I'm 100 just a just a Florida based Gossamer. You are him. I am. And he. I, is I just you. talk too much. So anyway, it was, it was, it was fine. It was fun. It was good company, but I just don't like being, I don't like that feeling of being fancy. I was pretending I froze. I was also pretending I froze. (laughs) (laughs) Hi everybody. Welcome to, I don't want to hear it. I'm Mikey. I'm Shane. And we have a belated Halloween episode for you because while Shane was off gallivanting, eating expensive meals that only I would appreciate and he wouldn't except fuck a beet salad. We were supposed to put out two episodes last week, and we didn't get a chance to record. We also didn't get a chance to do the bonus. We're dropping the ball a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing. Yeah, we we've got a, we've got a still an October bonus coming up, and we've got another. And this is a, a belated spooky episode for y'all. Yeah. So even though this is coming out in the second week in November, this is still technically a Halloween episode. We've got a disc dive for you that was already planned and written, so we're doing it because God forbid we throw anything out. Yeah, and uh, we I've been listening to this so much. I've listened to it eight times this week. Uh, yeah, this week and last. Uh, and the record that we're going to be talking about today is appropriate. It is mm-hmm. "Rain in Blood" by Slayer. Mm-hmm. Mina, mina, mew. Actually, their solos sound more like blah, 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 blah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's just, uh, it's just terror. It's just terror. It is all go no slow. This record. Yeah, I found out while researching this. I mean, it's a record I've been listening to since like ninth grade. But like, I found out while, or actually eighth grade, while researching this, I found out that Carrie King literally was just like, yeah, there's nothing musical about the solos. It's just insanity. We just tried to. Just, <laughs> we wanted to see how stupid we could be with it. Yeah, uh, and, and it's very clear that he does that. He nails that. Yeah. So we don't have any right profiles or freshnesses that have been forgotten. We're just going to go ahead and jump right into it because like we both said, we've been listening to this record a lot. I don't listen to Slayer regularly anymore 
Uh, but I, I used to listen to this all the time, so much so that the intro to Rain and Blood was the, the soundtrack for the slam section of my high school skate video that we made for TV production. <laughs> nice. Uh, I think I listened to it a whole bunch because the people I were hanging, like I was hanging out with, were learning how to play guitar, and so mm. they just wanted to play all of the songs. And this was one of the records they just played nonstop. I honestly wish that I had practiced to this instead of Green Day. Because I'd be a much better guitarist now. <laughs> yeah, I was hanging out with. Um, uh, I think he was in your your grade. His name. Everybody called him Weasel. I have no idea who you're talking about. Was this an imaginary friend? Were you a bear and he was a weasel? Is this a cartoon? I made him up. I was like, oh yeah, I really. You know what? I really need to cope with all the stressors of being like a, a fairly privileged teenager is <laughs> is having a guy that really, really, really learns how to play guitar really well. Like his the first song he learns is this one on. By Metallica. That's the song. Ooh. That's the guy. That's the imaginary friend I need, and I'm gonna call him Weasel. Okay. Well, if that's what you need, that's what you need. Doesn't make any sense. Why don't we? Why don't we start? We'll, we'll ease in like an old man into a pool. Sure. We both kind of are getting to that point. Yes. Well, let's. Why don't we start with how do how do we how did we come in contact with it? What are our experiences? The formative early experiences. This is. I mean, this is an this is a formative record uh, in in my personal discography. I don't know about you, but it's yeah. uh, that's how it is. So, when was the first time you heard it? So, I was hanging out with Weasel, um, and we were <laughs> Weasel. We were pirating music on Napster, and I remember <laughs> downloading "Raining Blood," the song "Raining Blood." Um, yes. But the version that I got was not the song that starts with the rain. It was uh, like the back half of "Postmortem," the, that song. Uh, that's like kind of the lead-in for it. Yeah. And so the first time I ever heard "Raining Blood" was my understanding was that back half of "Postmortem" was "Raining Blood." So, mm-hmm. so that was it. And then they were everybody was like. Specifically, Alex was uh, or Weasel was learning how to play Raining Blood and just was like, you just heard nonstop. And then I remember being the first time I heard, um, I would say, Angel of Death. <laughs> and I was kind of like, what's this about? Oh, that's scary. <laughs> um, and then the first time I heard War Ensemble was actually the Big Wig cover. Uh, and I was like, oh, this song rules. And then I went back and listened to War Ensemble. So it was like kind of like I found them through other means. Mm-hmm. It, Cause like I had, I feel like I skipped them because I, the first like real metal band I got into was Cannibal Corpse. So like that's so, so I, yeah, it was weird. So, um, and Cannibal and, and Cradle of Filth. So like I got into them at the same time and then found Slayer after that. That's such a weird way to go about it, but okay. That's just what, that's, Hey, that's what happened to me. Well, I was introduced to metal as a whole by one person. I've talked about him on the podcast before. Uh, his name was Glenn. I forgot what his last name was. <laughs> yeah. But, Glenn Slayer. Uh, he, yeah, yeah, Glenn Slayer. He showed up to my middle school in the eighth grade. And I was in punk. I was in Green Day, no facts, fucking lagwagon, man. And <laughs> yeah. he, he knew I played bass. And he saw me play bass. And I guess he thought, like, I was decent enough. He's like, we should start a band. I play guitar. And I'm like, really? What are you into? He's like, oh, well, let me show you. And so this is the first time. Uh, this is probably seventh or eighth grade, I guess. He showed me Master of Puppets, Ride the Lightning. Vulgar's play of power. He showed me Chaos AD. He showed me Peace Sells, but who's buying? <laughs> and, <laughs> and then he showed me uh, Rain in Blood. Yeah, and that was the first time I ever heard it. And I, 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 I'd never heard anything that was evil, like really evil. You yeah, because Metallica is just like you know. Well, we're talking about Metallica versus Slayer here in a minute, but Slayer was evil, and. Yeah. 
I was like, ooh, I shouldn't be listening to this. We went to Catholic school, you know. But I mean, we yeah. were surrounded. We were surrounded by demons at all times. Anyway, we just didn't know <laughs> it. <laughs> so I, I just remember that having that thought, like, this is a very evil sounding record. It's very scary. The artwork scared me. It, it it just it really grew on me. That was my definition of metal for for years. Was yeah. just like those main bands, Slayer especially. They were the most extreme one. I like Pantera more. I still do. Yeah. Sure. Well, and I think I think cons- more consistently, Pantera's put out more consistent. Like all the Pantera records are good, right? Like, but like Slayer, not Sly- Slayer doesn't all have that 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 uh that accolade. But I think I think you know I got to see them, uh, and it was cool. I got to see them when <laughs> when God Hates Us All came out, which was great because like the, I don't I remember them playing, and I remember Kerry King just being like a bonkers guitar player and just watching him because it was it was whatever that lineup was. So I did get to see Jeff Hanneman. Um, Carrie King and and Tom Araya and uh, they were fantastic. But I specifically remember him just screaming, "God hates us all!" And with the with the amps painted in the neon blood behind them, just like just the the, the House of Blue. And it's I'm surprised House of Blues let them play. Yeah, it's like strange. Disney let them play, which I thought was weird. So the curtains open. And it's just amps that just say God hates us all. And I was like, yeah, this rules. This is going to be fucking rad. And it was fucking rad. It was, it was great. Right after watching hate breed, like when perseverance came out. So it was Ooh. that time it was, it was hate breeds perseverance era. And then it was slayers. God hates us all era. And they, they ripped it. They, it was fantastic. Sounds like a good time, dude. It was great. I don't remember who else played. It doesn't matter. It was hate breed. No, and Slayer. it doesn't matter. I saw them once in 2017 or 2018, First time I ever got to see them, I probably wouldn't. I mean, unless they were on some fest, I wouldn't go out of my way to see them again because it was like it was everything I wanted. It was uh, outdoor amphitheater in St. Augustine. A behemoth opened. Their corpse mm-hmm. paint melted off their Swedish faces yes. <laughs> in the heat. And then Lamb of God played. They were awesome. I think I've seen them before, though, but I, I do really like Lamb of God. Yeah. And then slayer uh the curtain closes I've, I've i've talked about this before but why would i not talk about it on the slayer episode four crosses are projected onto the curtain and then you start to hear the band playing behind the curtain and i forget what song they opened up with but it was a crowd favorite i, I can't remember yeah. and the crosses turn upside <laughs> down all at the same time yeah <laughs> and you can't help but go yes fuck yes <laughs> and it, I, it, just, I, it rules I remember sh- I I was near Sean Robbins and he's like fuck you so I was I was like catching the vibe off him and then the curtain opens and they're playing and obviously Jeff Hanneman was dead at this point but it was Tom Araya Carrie King and I think I don't remember who was playing drums I don't know if it was Dave Lombardo or not okay. but I mean I'll be honest it was Tom Araya and Carrie King so you know like Jeff Hanneman great it's just he was he was gone. They played War Ensemble. They played Rain and Blood. They played Angel of Death. They played South of Heaven. I mean, it was just like everything I wanted to hear. Perfect. Fire just erupting behind the drum kit. Just valves shooting hellfire. And it rained blood on the stage, not on the crowd, when they did Raining Blood. And it was a fucking sick show. Yeah. They were incredible. I remember them being incredible. I remember them just like just ripping through it. And I, so I went with um, uh, our friend Patrick, um, who drove the Camaros. And so like Two he Camaros. and I were like he were the only he like because because we because when I would hang out with Weasel, we were hanging out at Patrick's house. And mm. so so when we were getting into this stuff, we were getting into this at the same time. We we're both like fuck yeah, this rules. Um, because you know as much as we got into like 
Cradle of Filth and Cannibal Corpse, we really got into stuff like At the Gates and Slayer and Death. Like those were the bands that we were like these rule. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so like we were like, well, of course, of course, we got to go see these. Like we got to go see these bands. And so um, the, <laughs> my favorite part. So Patrick's dad took us. Oh man. And Patrick's dad, uh, every, he call, Patrick would call him Pete and be like, okay, Pete, let's go, um, which is, like, just so disrespectful. Um, but th- we, we would talk Pete into going to places because we would say there would be boobs. So, like, he took us to see Gladiator <laughs> in theaters because we were like, yeah, there's boobs in it. And he's like, oh, okay, well, I'll go. And then, like, I don't know how he didn't just get that we would just talk him into it saying there was boobs and there was never boobs. We'd be like, yeah, there's boobs. And then there would be no boobs. He'd be like, oh, you guys told me there was boobs. I was like, oh, we thought there were boobs. Um, and then we were like, the same thing was like, like, yeah, it's like a metal show, but there's a lot of like metal girls and they'll show their boobs. And he's like, okay. And then took us and then there were no boobs. He's like, oh, come on guys. You were just hanging out with this like 40 something year old man child. Sounds dangerous. Yeah. (laughs) He never touched me. So, (laughs) so Patrick had two Camaros. Did you drive one to the show and he drove the other? Yeah. 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 That's how, well, yeah, we were 15 and we both drove, we drove his two Camaros to the show. That makes sense. You drove you drove in one and then his dad drove the other. Yeah, well, because I look like a, I look like an adult. Like I've looked like an adult since I was eight. <laughs> well, I would still say Rain and Blood is. I mean, it's obviously the best Slayer record. I don't know how anyone could say anything else. I mean, South of Heaven's good. It's got some good songs on it. We'll talk about it, but it's uh, it's 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 a little slower. Yeah, it's quieter. What was the what was the one that came after that that had War Ensemble on it? I can't remember. Uh, seasons, seasons in the Abyss. Yes. I like Seasons in the Abyss, too. Those are the three, obviously, that everybody always says. But Rain and Blood is like, I mean, come on. Yeah. Unless you're the drummer from Double Veteran, then you have a Divine Intervention tattoo. Well, Glenn's band was Double Veteran. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So, th- so, so then, well, the drummer of that band that worked at Atlantic Sounds had that tattooed on his shoulder, the, the, the cover. I don't know what ever happened to Glenn. He was such a great guitarist, man. He had so much skill and talent. He could just pick stuff out with his ear. I mean, I'd never seen anybody play like that, that naturally. It was just, he was incredible. I mean, he was in like the eighth grade. He could just play along to the entire album of Master Puppets flawlessly. That's how, that's how Alex was. It was the same thing. And you're just kind of like, they were the real metalheads. I wish I had risen to their bar, but I didn't. And then I play a punk band. See, that, that's the beauty of like playing bass is like, I could still play this stuff and be like, yeah, that's fine. I don't, I don't need to be a carry king. Well, you think you're better than me? Mm, a little bit. Another thing that I wanted to bring up before we jumped into the album itself was the eternal debate of Metallica people versus Slayer people. Back on our Pantera deep dives, we talked about the differences between the two halves of the band, or at least sure. Phil and the Abbott brothers. I don't know where Rex falls. I feel like Rex is just like, yeah, man, whatever, and he gets whatever, man. stoned to the bone. Phil said, because if you'll remember... We talked about how Pantera started as a glam metal band and they gradually got harder and harder until after Cowboys and on Vulgar, it was just an absolute ass beater. But that was due to a lot of Phil's influence, bringing in Black Flag and, and, uh, you know, whatever he was listening to. I don't, I don't know, black metal and black flag and whatever. And he said, there's a difference between me and them. He said, they're Metallica guys. He was talking about Dime and Vinny. No disrespect. I love the Abbots. But he said, I'm a Slayer guy. Sure. I just, I feel like Metallica is like a comic book. And Slayer is like a, is like the skin bound book from Evil Dead. It's a little different. 
See, I would say if you were to compare them to comic books, I would say Metallica is like the Marvel DC and Slayer's like the Vertigo or Dark Horse. Like they are the ones that like are more gritty. They're like the 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 back alley metal band. They're the ones that like kind of expose the world to the evils that that do exist where Metallica's like could you imagine what it'd be like if you got blown up and lost your arms and legs and went blind and you couldn't talk to anybody and then you were in a hospital bed and we wrote a seven or eight minute song about it? <laughs> it's pretty good. I would interject, though, that I think bands like At The Gates and Entombed, like the real underground stuff, that would be Vertigo. I think Slayer's Image Comics. Hey, that's fine. That's, <laughs> hey, I'll take that. That's fine. That's fine. Slayer is Spawn because I had the same reaction to Slayer that I did to Spawn when I stopped reading X-Men and I started reading Spawn. I'm like, ooh, I should read this. <laughs> that's so scary. Oh, that's so helly. it always blows my mind because the big four and they did that tour the big four is metallica megadeth anthrax and slayer i mean one of them does not belong on that list no megadeth well megadeth definitely doesn't belong on the list but i would say slayer is so vastly different than those three and they are thrash influenced but there's such a different vibe to them they're like less accessible i think yeah like, I think they are accessible for people who want to get into, like, more extreme metal, but I think they're less accessible. Like, you're not going to hear Slayer on the radio, but you will hear all of those other three bands on the radio at some point. Well, we will talk about the one Slayer song that you will hear on the radio in the U.S. Uh, oh, a little bit. Great. <laughs> it's pretty bad. But anyway, uh, enough of the reminiscing. Why don't we go ahead and just get into the record and talk about Rain and blood. See, the police are always off track with this shit. If they'd watch prom night, they'd save time. There's a formula to it. A very simple formula. Everybody's a suspect. Slayer are an American thrash metal band from Huntington Park, California. They don't sound like they're California from California. They sound <laughs> no. like they're from somewhere in Europe where there is a portal to hell. They just sound like they come from someplace that sucks. And I, I mean, I feel like California as a whole, at least the weather's usually nice if you're not on fire. Right. The beach is right there. Yeah. They were formed in 1981. They were formed by guitarist Kerry King and Jeff Hanneman, drummer Dave Lombardo, and bassist vocalist Tom Araya. Or Tom Araya. They, I've heard different enunciations of that. Uh, now, Araya King and Hanneman collectively handled the lyrics... Topics of which included serial killers, torture, genocide, organized crime, secret societies, occultism, terrorism, religion, or anti-religion, fascism, racism, and war. While King all the and good Han- stuff. All the, you know, all the totally, the stuff that you would like, that apparently does not get banned uh, out of books in, in Florida, the Florida education system right now. While King and Hanneman would handle the songwriting. Is there a scandal going on? They ban, they, they, they don't ban, they don't ban the right books, is what I'm saying. What, what books do they ban? They banned like they banned books with gay gay penguins in it. Like Florida's banned <laughs> books with gay penguins, but they won't ban like fucking like racist stuff. <laughs> gay penguins? Yeah, you can't have gay penguin. You can't have gay penguin books in Florida schools. There was like a, a same sex male penguin couple that have continued to get together to take care of like stray eggs when eggs are left that no other penguins take care of them like the two of them handle taking care of like the lost eggs they're like adoptive gay parents it's great (laughs) nice yeah i think slayer would appreciate that this was the lineup uh we talked about king hanneman uh we talked about lombardo and araya this is the lineup until 1992 which is when the band arguably released their best material 
This was the best lineup. Now, here are some numbers. They had 12 studio albums, three live albums, a box set, six music videos, two EPs, and one cover album. Uh, four of their albums went gold in the U.S., and they sold 5 million copies um, in the U.S. and over 20 million worldwide from 1991 to 2013. So that's a lot of accolade, a lot of sales, at least. For a band that's this inaccessible, of course. Yeah. Now, they got five Grammy nominations, one win, so they do have a Grammy in 2007 for uh, a song called Eyes of the Insane, which is just, uh, you know, not great for a, for a, an audio medium, but just like, so Mikey sees it, it's this. <laughs> they also won, won one in 2008 for a song called Final Six, both of the songs from 2006's Christ Illusion. I never listened to Christ Illusion. I didn't either. After over three decades, Slayer embarked on their farewell tour in May of 2018. It lasted until November of 2019, after which the band broke up. I mean, that'd break any band up going on tour that long unless you're Bruce Springsteen. God, could you imagine? Or I guess the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones and Kiss have done that a bunch, too. I'm convinced that they're all actually animatronics at this point. Yeah, 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 that's reasonable. They're just possessed (laughs) fucking Chuck E. Cheese uh, rats in makeup. Not funny! (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, Slayer's final lineup was Ariah King drummer Paul Bostaff, um, who replaced Lombardo in 1992 and again in 2013. <laughs> I think his name's Bostaff. You said Bostaff. I know what I said. Uh, <laughs> and, and guitarist Gary Holt, who replaced Hanneman in 2011 because Hanneman died. Jeff Hanneman died of cirrhosis of the liver in 2013. Did he die of cirrhosis? I thought he died of something like more metal than that. Like I thought he had some kind of like flesh-eating bacteria. There was a whole thing where they said that he was bit by a spider and he got necrotic, but apparently it was the spider bite that led them to discover that he had cirrhosis. Yeah, he had complications from the spider bite. Like, he was not in good health, but I think it's the cirrhosis that actually killed him. That's fair. I remember it being something like super metal. I was like, that's the only way you could kill somebody in Slayer was like, (laughs) you know, a bolt of lightning from the heavens or, you know, a spider bite. But. Slayer was infamous in their heyday for their controversial lyrics and artwork, uh, which resulted in many bans and many boycotts from from several religious organizations. Um, and this only made them more popular to metalheads worldwide because they were kind of like the bastard of the the big four. They were the ones that were like the more dangerous one. Like they were like the yeah fuck you of the big four. And uh, I kind of like that. So that's that's a fun thing about them. Definitely a controversial band. They were scary. I mean, I was I being being that I went to until I went to high school. I went to private school. There was a lot of like Kiss is the devil and Metallica is the devil, and these bands will get you. And then when I first heard Slayer, like no one had told me about Slayer. I thought it was like a yeah. Oh no, I've discovered that I've discovered Satan on my own. It's so scary. It's scary stuff. I mean, I remember hearing Angel of Death and being like, I don't like this. This is based on a true story. I don't like that even more. I learned about Dr. Mengele not from school. I learned from Slayer. Which is what they wanted you to do, and we'll talk about Angel of Death in a little bit. (gasps) That was the the idea. Okay. All right. So that brings us to Rain in Blood, which is Slayer's third album. It was released October 7th, 86. Can you believe (laughs) this? It sounds so modern when you hear it. It, I was going to say, it doesn't sound old. No. I mean, I guess like uh, Master Puppets still sounds pretty modern, but... Some reason in my head, I'm thinking like early 90s. No, no, 86. It was produced by Rick Rubin and Slayer. It came out on the label Geffen slash Def Jam. The length is 10 tracks, 28 minutes and 58 seconds. So it's perfect for me. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's great. It's less than a half an hour, which is wild. And it feels like that when you yeah. listen to it. It's it's hectic. And then I listened to South of Heaven for the first time in a long time the other day. And I'm like, man, this one is getting to be a snoozer. Mm-hmm. So the making of Rain and Blood. Uh, I use three sources. They are... Uh, I don't really want to read them. <laughs> There's three <laughs> sources. One's from Loudwire by John Wiederhorn. The other's uh, from Revolver by Jay Bennett. And the other's from Metal Hammer by Dave Everly. Three articles, retrospectives, where they talk to everybody involved. So Sure. I, I, if I say I'm going to put a link and then I don't, like I don't think anyone's going to care. You could just look up Slayer, Rain and Blood, uh, Oral History, and a bunch of shit will pop up. Yeah. Slayer's first two albums was 83's Show No Mercy and 85's Hell Awaits. They're both released on Metal Blade. They were considered pretty high watermarks for thrash metal. And sure. particularly early on, too. Right. 83, it's, it's pretty early. Yeah, it's pretty early, yeah. The thing is, their material, if you couldn't tell by the album titles, the material was just darker and more brutal than the other metal records that existed at the time. So... Not only were Slayer surpassing other bands in the evil department, but they were also getting sick of albums dragging on for nearly an hour. So they decided to go a different route, and the result was album number three, 1986's Rain in Blood. So I found a bunch of quotes. Uh This one's from Carrie King. I'm not going to do voices. We did too many voices last week, and I still (laughs) don't. I still don't have a voice. He is just like this. He is very blunt. So Carrie King said, we wanted to blow the lid off everything we and everyone else had already released. A lot of times when I'm working on something, the only thing I'm thinking about is how crazy the crowd is going to get when they hear it live. People start chanting and then the pit starts up. If I was in the crowd, I know that's what I'd be doing. So I just picture 500 people doing that, which is an interesting way to write riffs. You're going to hate this so much. I'm reading Sellout right now, and there's a whole section on At the Drive-In, and that's how they wrote their records, too, was, like, for their live shows. Just imagining people falling asleep while they played. Like, because they were known for putting on these really wild shows, like, when they were they, when they were at their peak. So, they would write, when they wrote um, Relationship of Command, they wrote it to be a live record to play so that people would get riled up. So, so what I'm saying is that Slayer and At the Drive-In are very similar. I <clears throat> something I didn't know until I was reading about this, but now I going back as many times as I've heard Rain and Blood over the years, I go back and I hear it now that it was I read it. Punk rock had a major role in the creation of the record. As you probably know, most metalheads, die hard metalheads, at least back in the day, they weren't they weren't about punk rock. They're like, fuck that shit. That shit sucks. Yeah. And the punks hated the metalheads. They hated the long hairs. But as Tom Araya said, Jeff Hanneman had become a fan of a lot of West Coast punk. There was this record store where he'd go a lot and look for album covers. So he figured the cooler the cover, the better the band. Yeah. And sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. And then he'd bring it in and play it all the time. Dave Lombardo said, TSOL, Minor Threat, Dead Kennedy, Circle Jerks. Jeff was discovering new bands all the time. It was definitely a turning point. And I find that very endearing that Jeff Hanneman was bringing all these punk records and be like, oh, shit's yeah. pretty sweet. Kind of love that, actually. And then Tom Maria said again, the last one on the wagon was Carrie, of course. Carrie of King. Of course. He was more of a metalhead. He didn't understand it at first. Eventually, he started liking it. If you get hit in the head with something enough, eventually, you start liking it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. 
But if you listen, you hear a lot of complicated riffing, but then there's just sometimes they're just hanging on a power chord. And it's like, oh, yeah. yeah, fucking sounds badass. Well, you know, I was listening to it, too, and we'll talk probably more about it later. But one of the, like, hallmarks of this record is it's a lot of, like, crazy riffing, and it ends on, like, a like a heavy accent note. It'll be like, yeah, that feels like a punk thing and not like a heavy metal thing. At the time, metal was becoming recognized by major labels, and in 86, Metallica signed to Elektra to release Master of Puppets. Now, Metal Blade knew they didn't have the resources to promote Slayer in the way that, that in, in that way, like the way that, you know, you had Elektra promoting those bigger metal bands, um, and they gave Slayer the okay to find a major label. It's pretty nice! That's pretty nice. That didn't, like, if you read, I mean, I was just reading, um, I'm reading Sellout, uh, and there's a whole section about Green Are Day. You? And they talk about how when they left Lookout, it was kind of the same thing. It was like Lookout was like, "Yeah, just be nice to us," and uh, <laughs> and that's and that's kind of what happened. So, uh, and then the, and then Green Day was like, "Yeah, okay, we'll be nice to you." And then they went and wrote Dookie, and it's like that just seems mean to like give another label that album. Now, um, after a bunch of label meetings, uh, they found a home at hip hop label Def Jam, founded by Rick Rubin. Eventually, we should just we're gonna do a Beastie Boys record at mm. some point in time. We're gonna do a Beastie Boys deep dive. We've got to, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Rick Rubin's going to come back. But Rubin started the label in 1983 in his NYU dorm room and was eventually joined by Russell Simmons when they were introduced by actor Vincent Gallo or DJ Jazzy Jeff. The story differs. That's kind of a fun thing about New York, I guess. No one knows. No one knows. Joe knows. <laughs> I know, but I ain't going to tell you, buddy. Oh. The label initially put out records by LL Cool J and Beastie Boys, but Ruben wasn't just a fan of hip hop. Uh, the first record he had put out prior to Def Jam releases, having you know having catalog numbers, was a seven-inch by a punk band named Hose. Hate that. Yep. Hose. Right. Yep. Don't like that. Don't like that. It's spelled H O S E, by the way, just so that's clear. Yeah, it wasn't like the hip hop hose we were talking about. It's like a garden hose. Hose transcend hip hop. Rappers call them hose. Pretty sure I've written behavior programs where that's a technical term. Well, then you should be fired. Yeah, probably. All right, so Slayer was Def Jam's only metal act, and Ruben personally produced their label debut, Rain in Blood, spelled R-E-I-G-N, just so everybody's aware of that. Now, uh, the band entered Hit City Studios in West L.A. with Ruben and engineer Andy Wallace to create the record. Now, surprisingly, there wasn't a lot of drinking or partying, and the band would record from 10 or 11 p.m. until the early hours of the morning, as this was the cheapest studio time they could get. You hear that story a lot. Like, a lot of bands that, like, really were like coming up and couldn't afford studio time because studio time is expensive. They would record overnight because mm. it was like half as much. Also, Carrie King was talking about it in an interview and he said, I don't know, maybe it was like the witching hour. Like it was we wanted to be evil as hell. Like I think that was more of a retrospect tag that he put on it. Yeah, yeah. At the time, it's probably like, yeah, we're going to... What What I imagine happened was the label probably gave them some money, and then they recorded overnight because they could pocket some of the money that they would get for recording. I could use the rest to buy cereal. Oh, what a day. <laughs> the, the trend at the time was for metal recordings to be drenched in reverb, and this is actually a really important thing. Um, and, and with the band's new stripped-down punk influence approach, they just wouldn't do it. And so Carrie King says, quote... Ruben really cleaned up our sound on that record, which drastically changed the what what we sounded like and how people perceived us. It, it was like, wow, you can hear everything. And those guys aren't just playing fast. Those notes are on time. It was what we needed to be. Before that, we were happy to sound like Venom or Merciful Fate. We played in reverb land, uh, for lack of a better term. I like that that's like the thing he went with. It's like reverb land instead of like South Reverb Central. <laughs> 
and reverb was the first thing Re- Ruben took out. When we heard the mix, we were like, why didn't we think of that before? And that's, and that's from Carrie. Now, according to Carrie King, the guitar solos were completely improvised. Uh, and this is so upsetting because people are like, yeah. And it's like, no, I just didn't know what I was doing. So Carrie King says, quote, I really love the solos on that record because they have nothing to do with music. It's just about <laughs> speed. How fast can a guitar or how fast can anything play? We'll use this guitar because we have these, but it has nothing to do with with guitar playing or music. And also, the fact that they had two lead guitar players who would trade off these guitar solos, neither of, neither of which made sense. Like, this thing doesn't make sense, and now I'm going to out not make sense to you. <laughs> I kind of love that, actually. Uh, you think you could do that? I'll do this. It's so insane. There's there's one where I think it's like five minutes back and forth of just insanity. Unbelievable. End quote. <laughs> I actually really like that because I think that a lot of times what happens is you get those bands that are musicians that kind of think they know it all. And then you have this moment where it's like, no, we just did what we wanted. Who cares? Like we had to figure it out as we went. So what? Who cares? One of Rain and Blood's tracks, Altar of Sacrifice, uh, which rules because I'm pretty sure that's the song. It's like, Satan, Satan. Like it does that in it at some point. Uh, Or maybe that was Jesus Saves. I don't know. That song was compromised of recycled riffs from an abandoned outtake titled Ice Titan. (laughs) Ice Titan. Kind of like that, actually. Yeah, it's a cool name, but Altar of Sacrifice is better. Yeah, agreed. When the entire process was complete, the band suddenly realized that the entire record would fit on just one side of a cassette. (laughs) (laughs) So compared to other metal records at the time, it was almost EP length. Jeff Hanneman said, at that time, we always listened to Metallica and Megadeth to see what they were doing. But one thing about me and Carrie is that we get bored of riffs really quick. We can't drag the same thing over and over, do the same verses six times in a song. If we do a verse two or three times, we're already bored with it. So we weren't trying to make things shorter. That's just what we were into. When we finished Rain and Blood, we had this meeting with Ruben and he was like, do you realize how short this is? (laughs) And we're going, oh, fuck. And then we all collectively looked at each other and said, so what? (laughs) I kind of like all of them saying so what at the same time. That's very endearing. Rick Rubin did eventually come around to this album length. Tom Araya said all 10 songs came in at 28 minutes. A full album contractually constitutes at least 45 minutes of music. I asked Rick if that was okay. His only reply to any of that was it's 10 songs, which constitutes an album. There's verses and leads and choruses. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't have an issue with it, which was really cool. But the problem with Rain and Blood, this is me talking now, not Tom Araya. But the problem with Rain and Blood turned out not to be the lack of reverb or the length. It was the lyrical content. Specifically, the lyrics to the legendary opening track, Angel of Death, which tell the story of Nazi... I don't even want to call him a doctor. Nazi war criminal. No, he was a doctor, but he's a war criminal, too. Like, he was legitimately a doctor before he was a war criminal. I feel like what he did, he basically gave up his doctorate. I I mean, I agree with you. I'm just, for historical accuracy, he was an actual doctor, and he's also the worst human. Dr. Joseph Mangala, not a doctor. Def Jam was distributed by Columbia Records, and the president of Columbia at the time was a Jewish man named Walter Yetnikoff. He felt that Angel of Death was anti-Semitic, that it glorified Mengele. Listening to it, understandably, like, that was the first thought I had the first time I heard it. It was like, Ugh! 
Columbia refused to release the album if it contained Angel of Death, and Slayer was like, nuh-uh, and they refused to pull the track. So <laughs> here's the first lyrics you hear on the song Angel of Death. Auschwitz, the meaning of pain, the way that I want you to die. Slow death, immense decay, showers that cleanse you of your life. Forced in like cattle, you run stripped of your life's worth. Human mice for the angel of death, 400,000 more to die. Angel of death, monarch to the kingdom of the dead, sadistic surgeon of demise, sadist of the noblest blood. Yeah, I could see why Woo! people would have a problem with that. <laughs> you know who probably doesn't have a problem with it right now? Uh, who, Carrie King? Kanye. Oh, yeah. Con- no, Kanye's fine with us right now. See how current we are? Woo! Yeah, look at that. We are up to date. You know, I was listening to one of our old episodes the other day. Just, just to, I'll just pick and choose every now and again. I'll listen to like, you know, a little bit of one. And I was uh-huh. doing this thing on the victory deep dive where I kept like burning you and I kept going, woo, woo. Psh, 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 psh. <laughs> and boy, did it make me laugh. I forgot about that. You know, um, I, so I'm reading this book sellout right now and there's a whole section on Thursday mm-hmm. and they, they just, all they do is just talk shit about Tony Brummel on it. It's great. That's awesome. I, I yeah. wish we had, I wish we had had that for the episode. So anyway, you guys, I mean, you could hear that's, uh, it's not like they're saying, you know, uh, Mingle is awesome, but they're not, they're not condemning him so much as just describing what he did, which was really awful. I mean, if anyone doesn't know who Joseph Mengele is like, you should probably look it up. It's really genuinely horrible. Like the only, the only good part of the story is that he supposedly drowned. Well, he, but he got away. Yeah, I think, but from what I understand, he had a heart attack and drowned in the ocean. They think he got he got to Argentina or something, or I don't know if he was in Brazil or whatever. Where a lot of them, they all went to South America. The ones that got, I I watched the whole Finding Hitler thing, but a lot of them did get out. Hitler probably didn't, and he supposedly was a doctor in a little town, and then he drowned. He had a heart attack and drowned uh, at the beach one day. Yeah, but they don't know. Right, they don't know. He deserved much worse because he is horrible. Yeah, he's a bad guy. So the band had this to say about Angel of Death years later. Jeff Hanneman said, I collect medals and other Nazi stuff that my dad got me started on because he gave me all this shit he got off of dead Nazis. Oh, God. Not a good start. Hey, Jeff, you want to dial it back a little bit? I remember stopping someplace where I bought two books on Mengele. I thought this has got to be some sick shit. So when it came time to do the record, that stuff was still in my head. That's where the lyrics to Angel of Death came from. Next thing I know, we're (laughs) (laughs) neo-Nazis. I think that's the thing that I would maybe caution everybody. Think about what you're saying so you don't stumble into being a neo-Nazi. I know he's saying that kind of like goofy. Next thing we know, oops, not a good start. Next thing you know, we fell in a bucket of syrup. I get what he's saying, but he's just not choosing his words very carefully. Yeah, he's not thinking about what he's saying. It's <laughs> no. gonna, it's, it, the, if you read that quote straight and not sarcastic, it sounds really bad. And then Carrie King added gas to the fire. Yeah, Slayer, Nazis, fascists, communists, all, all different things there. All that fun shit. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> we got the most flack for it in Germany. I was always like, read the lyrics and tell me what's offensive about it. Can you see it as a documentary or do you think Slayer's preaching fucking World War II? People get this thought in their heads, especially in Europe, and you'll never talk them out of it. That that didn't help, Carrie. Nope. Not helpful at all. Uh, Dave Lombardo said, we got dropped by Columbia because of that. I mean, Auschwitz, the meaning of pain. 
any sympathizers with the Holocaust aren't going to have any part of it. Well, I, I don't know, Dave, but um, <clears throat> to continue, but they didn't see the deep meaning of it. It's just documented musical awareness. It's not necessarily for it. It's just something that Jeff discovered and wrote a song about. And Oof. then Jeff Jeff chimed back in. It was like, oh, yeah, we're racist. We've got a Cuban and a Chilean in the band. Get real. Tom Araya said, that was one thing I never understood. It's not like there's four white guys in the band. We got accused of all kinds of shit. We recall being neo-Nazis because of that song. But if you look at the lyrics, they just tell a story based on history. It doesn't glorify anything. Anyone who thinks we're Nazis isn't paying close attention because I'm originally from Chile. So I'm a minority, and that would mean that would have to mean I hate myself. Well, that's also not necessarily true. (laughs) Look, "Angel of Death" is is one of the best Slayer songs, is it not? No, it's incredible. I mean, the song itself is one of the ones that are. I I want that's one of the first songs I heard, and it got me sucked into Slayer. Yeah, just from the from a musicality standpoint, it's a good song. Yeah, Angel of Death is one of Slayer's top five. It's like War Ensemble, Raining Blood, Angel of Death, South of Heaven. I I know what they're trying to do. They just didn't say it very well. They didn't just yeah. They didn't explain <laughs> themselves well. It didn't, and then they didn't do themselves any favors by like being sarks like snarky about it. If somebody comes to me and is like, "Hey, you're being a real neo-Nazi now," I'm like, I'm not gonna go. Oh yeah, I'm being a real neo-Nazi yeah, right yeah. now. Like, I'm not. I'm gonna be like, whoa, 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 whoa. What am I doing that's making you think that? Let's have a conversation. Like, I'm not gonna be like, oh yeah, yeah. That that was that was what was wrong with it. <laughs> I like to call that a misstep. It's a little, it's a little gaff. I, I I hear what they're doing. I understand what they're doing. I'm also not gonna justify if somebody's feeling a certain way about it. I'm not gonna talk them out of it. Like I'm not gonna be like you should feel you shouldn't be so offended by Angel of Death. Like I understand it's it's a it's a t- it's a touchy subject. Sure, it, what Dr. Mengele did not good. We can condemn that. That's fine, right? So I think they they did go about that poorly though. But I mean, the song rips when he's doing he's on the bell. Oh man. Oh yeah, great song. Now, uh, Rick Rubin managed to convince Geffen Records to distribute Rain and Blood, and after several delays, which along with the Angel of Death controversy, only made the record more anticipated. So on October 7th, 1986, Slayer made metal history. Rain and Blood received no airplay and debuted at number 127 on the Billboard 200 album chart. Six weeks after release, it peaked at number 94, but the underground feedback was, across the board, consistent. Rain and Blood was a masterpiece and a new high watermark for metal as a genre. I love, I love this so much. It essentially was marketed or not marketed, and it came out as like an indie record. Yeah, they they didn't push it. I mean, they couldn't because they were gonna get in trouble. <laughs> Could you imagine pushing it? <laughs> Geffen Geffen was basically just like just 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 throw it out the back door. Just throw it out the back door. So we don't talk about this one. We don't want to talk about this. Can we go back to talk about Aerosmith? Think about that for a second. Like they, they were they pro- they had Geffen probably had Aerosmith on their roster at the time, and Steven <laughs> Tyler was like zonked out of his mind, like probably in and out of rehab, and that was a better option. If it's 1986, I'm almost positive that's when the remix of "Walk This Way" came out, and that was a better solution than sl- than Slayer. Can you imagine Steven Tyler listening to "Angel of Death" for the first time? He would just drop all his sashes and walk away. <laughs> What's that? I don't know. He would he would like literally throw his scarves in the air and walk out and walk out the room. <laughs> Surprisingly, the instantly recognizable artwork was a sticking point for the band. It was created by artist Larry Carroll to resemble a Hieronymus Bosch painting. 
It features a goat man on a throne, severed heads floating in blood, and a ghoulish man wearing a mitre, or a pope hat, along with other characters, and Carrie King had this to say about it. Quote, Nobody in the band wanted that cover. We were stuck with it. Some warped, demented freak came up with that cover. End quote. Uh, he seems like a real treat to be around. Yeah, he sounds like he's got. He's just full of joy. Now, uh, Rain and Blood was certified gold by the RIAA on November twentieth, nineteen ninety two. So it took a little while to get there, but it did get there. Mm-hmm. Um, in nineteen ninety eight, the album was re released with two bonus tracks: Aggressive Perfector a re-recorded track from the band's 1984 EP, Haunting the Chapel, and a remix of Criminally Insane. In 2004, Slayer played Rain and Blood front to back on its Still Raining tour, which, that rules. Uh, <laughs> the band released a DVD recording July, recorded on July 11th, 2004, at the Augusta Civic Center in Augusta, Maine. Uh, Maine, of all places. Like That's Strange. funny to think about Slayer playing in Maine. Um, for the finale, Raining Blood, the band was doused in fake blood that showered from the rafters. Slayer has since played Rain and Blood in its entirety at select shows. Could you imagine like seeing that record in its entirety? It's a short show. Yeah, 28 minutes. All right, let's get to the car. It's going to be crazy. We gotta leave. We gotta leave when the when the thunder hits, so that we can yeah. we don't yeah, so we can get out on time. Uh, now, probably the weirdest anecdote connected to Rain and Blood doesn't come from Slayer themselves or even the metal community. It comes from Tori Amos. <laughs> it's so weird. Tori Amos covered Raining Blood for her 2001 album Strange Little Girls. It came out a week after 9/11, and here's what she said in a Spin magazine. What a horrible turn of events, by the way. <laughs> Tori Amos says, "Quote: Beck's bass player suggested I do a cover of Slayer's Raining Blood." what um i was reading about what was going on in afghanistan the way women were being oppressed the destruction of religious statues and when i heard that song i just imagined a huge juicy vagina coming out of the sky raining blood all over those racist misogynist fuckers end quote i cannot i bet you didn't think tori amos was going to show up in this episode is all i can say or Beck's bass player, who probably convinced her to do it just to be a dick. Yeah, or or the phrase "huge juicy vagina," which is a thing that I have never said out loud. Hey, Tori, you should cover this song. I got a devil's haircut in my mind. All right, I'm out of here. <laughs> hey, you know, you know, what you should do. To, you should cover the song. That's where it's at. It's <laughs> even better. God damn it! <laughs> if you need help, I got two turntables and a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Following Rain and Blood's release, Slayer toured with Wasp, of all bands, <laughs> and their star began to rise so much that Carrie King was featured in a Beastie Boys song. <laughs> so awesome. So he said, somewhere in there, I played with the Beastie Boys. I did the solo on No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Ruben was like, this song needs a lead, so he paid me a couple hundred bucks to come into the studio. I certainly wasn't a virtuoso at that time. Yes, we know. You just made shit up. Yeah. You made shit up. You literally told us you made shit up. <laughs> but that was a lot of money to me. The song was kind of spoofing metal a little bit, like Motorhead's No Sleep Till Hammersmith. I'd never heard the Beastie Boys, but they were cool. In the video, they originally wanted the gorilla to knock me off the stage, but I was like, if there's going to be any knocking off stage, it'll be me knocking the gorilla. So that's what we did. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. That's fine. I get it. As we said, Rain and Blood received new airplay. However, by 1987, Slayer could be heard on the radio. Jeff Hanneman said, Ruben wanted us to do Iron Butterflies in a Gata De Vida for a movie. It was less than zero. Oh, weird. To me, that song doesn't represent Slayer. It's not our music, so who cares? Carrie fucking hates it. <laughs> 
But I hate that Born to be Wild cover we did even more. I didn't know they did that. I didn't know they did that either. It came out on some compilation. It was actually NASCAR Crank It Up 2002. For some that. TV show we were doing, I'd rather listen to Inagata DeVita than that song. I can't believe we did that. And then Carrie King chimed in. Even today, if you hear Slayer on the radio anywhere in the States, they play fucking Inagata DeVita. <laughs> There's a lot better things to judge us by than that hunk of shit. Ruben picked that song, and a week prior going into the studio, I was real unhappy. And today, it's the bane of my existence. I hate that fucking song, but it got on the radio, and that opened the door when South of Heaven came out in 1988. Dude, wild. Like what a what a horrible song to cover. Seriously, one of the worst songs ever written. Uh Slayer decided they wouldn't be able to top the speed of Rain and Blood. So their follow-up, 1988's South of Heaven was a slower, more atmospheric experience which you could hear on the opening title track, which is a instantly recognizable Slayer riff and it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a good record, but it is much slower. And like when you, and then when they go back to um, uh, seasons in the abyss, like it's a faster record. They're like, oh wait, we like to do the all go more better. All go more better. Yeah, I figure we could go track by track since it is so quick. Uh, just just check them out before we get out of here. We can do it in twenty eight minutes. They're not ghosts. This house is not haunted. It's possessed. <laughs> Possessed, man, haunted, come on. Who gives a shit? So the first track on the record, Angel of Death. What <laughs> what did you think the first time you heard the scream? Dude, the scream was it, it, it curdling blood curling. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is, it is wild. You know, you think about like Sebastian Bach doing that, like that high pitched, like scream, but it is nothing like what Tom Array does. Like it, you're just kind of like, this is horrifying. It sounds like he's being tortured. <laughs> yeah. The way it goes up high musically and then comes back down. Like, ah! it's like yeah. a bomb dropping. I did not know what to think the first time I heard that. Yeah. The scream apparently took only two takes. Which is... Wow. That's probably all he could do. <laughs> yeah, it's just... I'm going home, guys. <laughs> I'm done for the day. Yeah. yeah, I blew out my vocal cords. And we've talked about how offensive the song could be construed to be, but trust us when we say... And I guess you could trust Slayer that they, they don't love Mangala. Trust us when we say, this is a this is like one of the best Slayer songs. Yeah, it is a really... If you've never heard Slayer, it's a good entry point for them. Oh, absolutely. Track two is piece by piece. Dude, I love, I love this mid-paced. It's, it's such a good switch up from like the speed that is Angel of Death. I love the ending line because the lyrics are about a serial killer dismembering their victim naturally. Sure. I love the ending where he's like, a fast sadistic beast. There's only one way out of here. Piece by piece. It's very punk. <laughs> And the first, the first word in the song, I never knew really what it was. Modulistic terror. And I looked modulistic up because I didn't know what it meant. It means a separable component, one that is interchangeable with others. So he's talking about dismembering a body. Yeah, yeah. So scary. Necrophobic is track three. It's about being scared to die. Sure. Yeah, the riffing is unbelievably fast, but there's a really good heavy chorus. And Tom Araya also does another 
crazy on it. We talked about Altar of Sacrifice, track four, and you were right. So the lyrics are about being sacrificed by a cult, but that part where it goes into the slowdown is like, enter to the realm of Satan, Satan. The first time I heard it, I remember being like, that's evil. And then I was listening to it. I've been listening to it so much lately. I was like, that's still very evil. Like, it still has the same effect where you're just kind of like, ah, that's so spooky. I don't like it. I love the ending where it turns into a march. Blood turning back. The change has begun. Feeling the hatred of all dead hell. <laughs> it's so great. This is one thing I think that it's like important to note about him. It's like sometimes his phrasing is really weird. Sometimes he feels like he writes something and he's like, I got to rush to get this in. Yeah. But um, like it happens every now and again, but it still works. Like it's not, if somebody else did it, I'd be like, oh, James Hetfield, you should have done that. But he does it and he does it well enough that you're like, well, that's just what he does. And like, he's allowed to do whatever he wants because he's the singer of De- the devil's band. It's definitely the, the punk influence comes through in some of the phrases because he's spitting yeah. the he's just like spitting it like he's in a uh, minor threat almost yeah for sure real quick before we before we go on i just have to say when i said huge juicy vagina apparently riley heard that enough to text me and say what did you just say <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so that's the life i'm living right now track five one of my favorites jesus saves yeah dude so good it's a little ironic I mean, it is one of the fastest songs on the record, but the intro is super chugging and slow. Yeah. We were just talking about how he spits the words. Uh, the chorus is so good. Jesus, I, let's do it, pray. You think I see the pearly gates when that takes you away? <laughs> That's a great midpoint anchor track. Angel of Death, yeah. Jesus Saves, Rain and Blood are probably my favorites in that they're like track one, five, and ten. But yeah. uh, track six, No Slouch, Criminally Insane, another great serial killer tune. Heavy intro with the ride bell. They flip it fast. Yeah, it gets real fast real quick. And you're like, oh. And they do another sort of like punk staccato, like, on his trail, I'll make you follow. So this is 1986. And when you listen to some of the punk that was around that time, like it was, people always talk about being fast, but like people always talked about the Ramones being fast. And it was like, without Slayer, you probably wouldn't have punk beat. I mean, it truly does probably come from metal. Yeah the speed of this record when you hear it it's it sounds like if you've listened to punk and metal you're like oh yeah but if you listen to like what was going on at the time it was one of the fastest records that existed at the time like this was innovative for that the evil outro riff is one of the best riffs on the record in my opinion i i do love it oh yeah for sure you got track seven reborn returning it's lyrics about returning from the dead after being executed Uh uh-huh I love the ending final lyric. Death means nothing. There is no end. I will be reborn. Some of the lyrics are very on the nose, but they're very storytelling. It's not like Dwid, which is like their incantations. They're very linear storytelling. There's not a lot of metaphors. It's very to the point. There's uh, not a lot of esoteric spells being thrown around in Slayer lyrics. No. So track eight is Epidemic, and I would... I would define that as punk metal, the blueprint for it, especially the chorus. Waiting to unfold, raging uncontrolled, adapt a potency, death machine infests my corpse to be. <laughs> it's so dorky. I love it. I, I love the phrasing of the chorus. Yeah. Then we already talked about postmortem track nine, epic intro. And the end, towards the end, when it really speeds up, do you want to die? 
<laughs> so sick. Dude, I would drive around listening to this, looking for skate spots. Like, we would just blast Rain and Blood. Oh, it was so cool. The end, so, like, there is that, like, that riff where it, like, kicks in and it's, like, really fast. And it's, like, that. That was my intro to Rain and Blood. Was that, is that before or after that one stop with the snare hit that sounds like a shotgun? I think that's, like, I think that's when it starts. I mean, it's, like, it's such a hard hit. But, of course, Postmortem is just the lead-in to Raining Blood. R-A-I-N-I-N-G Blood. This is like Master of Puppets for grown-ups. Oh, 100%. That intro is one of the most recognizable riffs in all of rock and metal. There's just no getting around it. Yeah, with the minute you hear dun-dun-dun. Yeah. You don't even have to hear the guitar riff. Like, the minute you hear the drums, you're like, oh, I know what song this is. Uh, they're they're going to do the thing where they go dun 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 And, like, that's exactly what happens. And it's fucking beautiful. Lyrically, shortest song on the record, but that opening line, Drop Dead Purgatory! Yeah. <laughs> and the chorus riff with the double bass. Yeah. And that chugging breakdown years before Pantera. I mean, before Pantera did it. I guess it wasn't that long before Pantera because they did it on Domination. But at any rate, probably wouldn't have them without this. And then, of course, the the ending lyrics. Raining blood from a lacerated sky. Bleeding its horror. Creating my structure. Now I shall rain blood. The way he spits it at the end. (laughs) Now he doesn't. There's like no musicality to it. He's just like, now I shall rain blood. Yeah, it's so it's so absurd. I kind of I do love how it's not musical though. Like I and I love knowing more that they took a very punk approach to it, and then it was just Carrie King and Jeff Hanneman being like, I bet I could play better than you can. Watch this ridiculousness. It doesn't make any sense. And like I love that. Because that makes it, because it feels like that, but it's also nice to know that that's exactly what it was and it wasn't like planned. The final moments of the record proper, because we're not going to talk about the bonus tracks. Aggressive Protector is fine. The Criminally Insane remix is unnecessary. The nauseating solo. It sounds like a plane going down. Yeah. Because as soon as he says rain and blood, they just go right into that super fast tremolo riff. It gives you enough of a breath. To like it's you know what it is is you've hit the top of the roller coaster yeah. and and then the whole ro- roller coaster collapses and you're falling. That's what that's what the last bit of the song is. Like you don't get to go down the hill. The roller coaster has collapsed and you are falling to your death. It does truly sound like something falling at the end. Like they they manage to convey like a sense of motion at the end because you're built up so much throughout the song and then it's just ah! <laughs> at the end. <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> The part that makes it feel like it's falling is not just the the music. It's that that sudden stop. Like, it just stops. It doesn't, like, fade out. It doesn't have, like, an accent on the song. It just stops. And it stops with that big thunderclap, that, like, Yeah. Dude, so good. The storm sounds could be construed by, you know, if if another band did it in another way, it might be corny. But when you hear... When you hear the beginning of the song and you hear the thunder and you hear the feedback and you hear the rain, which you know is actually blood. Yeah, it's blood rain. I don't care who you are or where you're at. If you like heavy music, you hear it, you stop, you go, fuck yeah, it's fucking rain and blood. You can't yeah. say it's rain and blood. It's fucking rain and blood. Yeah, yeah. That song, you know, I it never gets old. I mean, yeah. every time I hear it, I there's not a time where I'm like, oh, rain and blood again. Like I'm, Every time I hear it, I'm like, fuck yeah. That's Rain and Blood, guys. I mean, we gave you the basic lowdown. I mean, it's nothing you probably couldn't have found out for yourself, but it was delivered in such a charismatic fashion by both of us. Of course. You're welcome. 
And plus, you get to hear our opinions, which are so important to you. No, I, of course. But seriously, I know I probably don't. I don't talk about Slayer a lot, and I don't love Slayer. I don't as a band. I love Rain and Blood though. That's that's a record mm-hmm. I listened to so much it, towards the tail end of middle school and high school. Yeah. So so much I listened to Rain and Blood. And I had moved on to other stuff because I graduated from Slayer because Slayer was like, okay, now now you got to go find out the gates and all that stuff. Right. And uh, I had graduated from Rain and Blood and I didn't listen to it as much anymore. Very, or, or I had so much new music to discover, but Rain and Blood is up there, man. It is one of those things where are there met- are there other metal records that I like more? For sure. If I had to choose between um, Slaughter of the Soul and Rain and Blood, I would choose Slaughter of the Soul. We wouldn't have it, and we wouldn't know about it without Rain and Blood. Right, is the thing. and I understand that, and and that's not to say that like that Raining Blood is or Rain and Blood is bad. Like it's not. No. It's great. It's it, it's 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 an essential listen. Like I think that's where I would put it. Is like it might not be everybody's cup of tea, and if you don't like metal, that's fine. But it is an essential listen. Like you you should even if you're not a metal fan, give it a listen because it is uh, an incredible. It's a masterpiece. It's it's a perfect. It's Dookie is a perfect record. Rain and Blood is a perfect record. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's the way that I would... The, the reason we're doing the deep dives on these records is because they are perfect records. It is short, of course, so it's hard to get bored of. But, like, I listen to Master of Puppets, and, and like, I, I get bored of it. Yeah. I, like, bunch a handful of the songs, and I'm just like, ah, skip these. There's so much of metal that is... There's, like, an art part of it that people don't talk about. Like, there's, like, the art, the proggy, the parts that are, like, kind of, like, the musicianship of it. Mm -hmm. Slayer doesn't do that. They take all the art out of it, and they're like, this is just a fucking... This is nuts and bolts metal. Like, this is in your face. This is without the frills. This is without the... the, They're not gilding the lily with this, right? It's just, like, straight up, like, this is what metal is. And then bands like Metallica just spray paint it. (laughs) You know, the other thing that endears this album to me is a lot of my favorite heavier hardcore bands are slayer influenced i would say ringworm all out war um i've even put integrity in there a little bit uh especially they're a little more influenced by black metal now but they they had a they had a similar ferocity yeah and without slayer i don't have some of my favorite uh hardcore bands archangel I mean, yeah. Jesus Christ. Dead Man Walking is is just the Rain and Blood riff over and over. That whole record <laughs> is just they yeah. rearrange the notes. And it's so good. And it's one of those formative hardcore records. It's just like, fuck yeah, Archangel. But it's right. because it's it's got part of Slayer in the DNA. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, I think I think that's exactly it. It's like modern metal and a lot of the bands that we do enjoy – it's there. Like you hear it, you hear even like, even you hear like some of the weirder stuff they do later and, and, and stuff like that. It's still there. And when you listen to newer Slayer, I listened to a newest, the, the newest Slayer record. Um, I forget what it's called. Devout, devout devotion in something or other. I, whatever I it is, I can't remember. I listened to the first couple songs on it and it's not bad. I mean, it's cl- a cleaner production. It's not bad. It sounds like Slayer, but it's not rain and blood. This conversation has just, since I've listened to Rain and Blood so much, it just makes me now want to go listen to Seasons in the Abyss, because that's one I always neglect. <laughs> yeah. I want to give I want to give some of their other stuff uh, a listen to. Like, I remember liking God Hates Us All. That was when they went kind of new metal, wasn't it? It was a little bit new metal, but I was also really into new metal when it came out, so like it made <laughs> sense that I liked it. No, Diablo, Diablo in, in Musica was the one was a little bit, was, was super new metal, and then God Hates Us All was a little bit more of a return to form, but there were still some of those influences. I remember the Diablos in Musica when that came out. 
Guitar World did a whole thing on it. Yeah, people were mad. I would save my allowance and I'd buy Guitar World from Publix. And yeah. I'd, I'd walk home reading it, you know. And I remember reading about the devil's chord. You know, what is it? A diminished fifth is what they call Something it? Something like that, yeah. I mean, you just take the power chord, you slide the, the top note uh, down half a step. But right. I forgot what it's called. But I remember then I went home and I played it. And I was like, that doesn't sound like the devil. <laughs> that just sounds dumb. And I guess that is going to do it for Rain and Blood. That's it. So go listen to it. Go fucking listen to it, man. Especially if you do love it and you just haven't listened to it. It's one of those records you can neglect. It's old. We've listened to it a million times, everybody. Go back and remember how fucking sick that record is. Yeah, 100%. Well, all right. I hope everybody had a happy Halloween. Uh, you know who we, ha- we hope had an even better Halloween, though? Who? Our patrons. We're going to shout this out. Uh, Cam Subi, Chris and Crabtree, uh, Bob Hughes, Joe Regano, Tyler Lagasse, Brian Stewart, Casey Crawford, Jess DeMarco, Emily Lawson, Nancy Crozier, Christian Purley, Mario Cipriano, Jessica Crane, Matthew Fisher, M. Andrews, Kate Neal, Laura Crosby, and Michael Osborne. Thank you all. Thanks! Hopefully you enjoyed the Ghouly Ghouly Ghoul uh, special presentation. I really hope that people listen to it and like it and don't think we're tryhards. We were just fucking around, but we did put a considerable amount of effort into it. Yeah. Uh, and it was also a lot of fun. So, like, even if you don't like it or whatever you think, we had fun with it. And um, and it, it makes us there. There are things about it that make us laugh very hard. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that. I really enjoyed doing last year was the Christmas special. And that just came to me while I was driving. And I was just like, what if, what if we did this? And then, <laughs> then we, we talked about other ideas and Shane was like, Hey, what if the misfits solved a Scooby-Doo mystery? <laughs> we got a couple of other uh, ideas for different holidays and, you know, they're fun to do. They're a pain in the ass because the script has to be written. And it's <laughs> dude, I spent, five hours putting it together after I edited down the dialogue just to get yeah. all the music cues and the sound effects. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. But it was fun. I hope you guys like it. Yeah. And we'll keep doing that if you guys like it. And if you don't like it, we'll keep doing it anyway. Yeah, I'll keep doing it. We don't give a shit. Yeah, we don't give a shit. We have fun with it. So, <laughs> whoa, well, I, I don't, I don't have anything else. So uh, I don't either. I I mean we have we have books for sale. Um Tom Decane's uh poetry book is for sale now, so you can grab that for thirteen dollars um on WNDpress.com, so that's cool. And uh I think that's that's uh that's it. That's it. Uh, that's, uh, you can buy uh in in actually speaking of Jerry Lonely, we still have Jerry Lonely pins. Yep. So which is one of my favorite bits of merch that I've ever made. I wear one every day. <laughs> Do you really? It's on my lanyard. <laughs> Oh, that's great. I'm going to put one on my backpack. I don't know why I haven't done that yet. Well, I guess that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, So we will be back next week. So until then. Annihilate this week. Hail to it. And good night, Taco Bell Joe, wherever you are. I know that Taco Bell Joe is not listening to this record because it's too scary. It's Diablo sauce for him. Buddy. I mean, look who you're talking to. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking to Taco Bell Joe. Are you looking at me? Yeah, I'm looking right at you. You look just like Taco Bell Joe. Are you looking at who you're talking to right now? <laughs> I'm looking right. I'm, I'm, I, who I'm speaking to, I'm looking at. I'm looking at you. Are you looking uh-huh. at me? <laughs> I, I'm looking at you, Joe. I'm looking at you, Taco Bell Joe. We're looking at each other. Mm-hmm. 
That's what that's what people do when they talk most of the time. I want you to think about what that means to you, buddy. Where are we at? What, when you look at me, I look at you. Okay, we look at each other. That's right. You got it, buddy. Okay, go, I, so we. Okay, that's is that the moral of the story? Yes, that's that's what I'm trying to tell you. All right. <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. You don't got to go anywhere, buddy. You can stay right. right here. We can look at each other. I don't want to do that. I want to go. That hurts my feelings, buddy. Uh, it's not you. It's me. It's my own stuff. I invented it's not you. It's me. Don't you use my own <laughs> weapons against me. Are you going to go listen to Slayer, though? Are you going to go listen to this record? I might give it a try or two, buddy. I was, after all, a founding member of the Misfits. That's true. You were, you were in it. That's right. All right. I got to go. Okay, bye. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at I Don't Want to Hear It Pod. You can find us on Twitter at IDWHI Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at I Don't Want to Hear a Podcast. Check out our website at I Don't Want to Hear a Podcast.com. And if you follow the link, it came from the beach. You can hear all our old bands and the bullshits that we did. You can check out our publishing company at WNDPress.com. And if you would like to submit a work or get published with us, uh, you can email us at info at WNDPress.com. If you'd like to reach the show, you can email us at IDWHIPodcast at gmail.com. Send us your feedback. Send us your information. Let us know what you think. Please consider supporting the show. Check out our patron. You get all kinds of cool bonuses, including discounts on merchandise. You get bonus episodes like our Play It Loud and our Talk Among Us episodes and all kinds of goodies. We make a bunch of playlists for you all, too. Find us. It'll be great. It'll be great.